it's hanging half a hundred on him at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Hey everyone, and welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. You're about to listen to a special episode of the Mainline that was recorded live via Twitter Spaces. If you don't want to miss that in the future, make sure to follow us there at the Mainline Pod, and we'll dive right into OU Texas. Absolutely. So let's let's go ahead and start diving in and talking a little bit about the game down in Dallas. Um, and I'll I'll invite Jay on to uh, to kind of kick us off here a little bit. If you're not familiar with Jay, uh, Jay Smith from Unfair Sports uh, has a you know an OU podcast, Sooner or Later Sports. Uh, Jay, if you want to chime in, if I missed anything there uh, as far as some of your work there, but listening to the live show that that happened, uh, I guess it was Sunday night that that came out. Um, I'll put a link up here on the space in just a second if people want to check that out. It'll be some great uh, listening, maybe on your way to Dallas or over the next couple of days as we kind of uh, get closer to game time. But one of the key things that stood out to me on that that podcast that you recorded there was basically talking about and a little bit of dismantling the notion that Texas has played some difficult schedule and OU's played absolutely nobody. But um, as you kind of articulated, that's not really the case. So I'll, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about uh, about that uh, specific aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I'll dive into that. Just what's up everybody. Jay Smith on fair sports. Uh, and as mentioned, I, uh, my, uh, pod is a sooner or later sports when I talk all OU content and then unfair sports, we do a lot of college football in general, but yeah, on the Sunday live show, we do that Sundays at 6 PM central time. And of course I've got a lot of people, Texas fans, uh, USC fans, which is kind of crazy. I've got a lot of fans from other teams to join in and, uh, not only in a way troll, but at the same time, just kind of want to hear the pulse of what's going on with the competition. And so, of course, the the, the whole idea that Oklahoma hasn't played anybody and Texas played just this juggernaut of a schedule, we have to quickly just jump all over that because if you go back and look at it, Wyoming was down to their backup quarterback. So was um, the most recent game, Kansas. And so when you look at it, it's like, okay, sure, you play, you know, some okay teams, but at the same time, you 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 play back to quarterbacks. And so Wyoming was able to keep the game close up to the fourth quarter. And I'll give Texas a slight amount of props in this. It's more so with Rice, Wyoming, they were basically playing with their food the entire time. And then they finally decided to go ahead and turn the switch on and go. And that could be detrimental if you're playing against the wrong team. So when I was, you know, going back and forth with these Texas fans, I was explaining, you got to look at it that way. It, it, that doesn't mean that you were playing just superior talent. I mean, Alabama was a very good game for you all, but everybody's already pointed out Alabama don't look the same. They struggled with USF the next week, and they benched Jalen Milrow. Now, Milrow isn't your prototypical Alabama quarterback, and so that isn't what we're used to seeing out of them. They struggled. But that game was also a battle up into the fourth quarter. And y'all basically, Texas did a fantastic job of exploiting Caleb Downs because he was a very overzealous freshman going out there, just making it easy to just throw it over the top. And so not to downplay the win, but that was a very big win for Texas. But that's probably it. I mean, scoring-wise, 
SMU is up there as far as points per game. They're like, what, 30, 32, 33 points per game. So they're one of the uh, high-scoring teams. And I think it was C.J. Vogel that mentioned that OU hasn't played a single team that's had over 30 points or something of that nature, which is a quite fascinating uh, notion to state. But um, we both played some some tough out-of-conference games. We haven't played Alabama yet. Sure, we, we'll, we'll give you those props. But overall – both teams are showing that they can win the games that are placed in front of them, and that's honestly the most important thing. Yeah, you bring up something interesting there, Jay, and I'll, I'll kind of ask Tyler this, but you talk about how Texas basically was playing with their food, then turned it on late, and in almost every game that they've played this year, despite playing against you know backup quarterbacks for the most part. But normally, for any other team, I would say, yes, that makes total sense. That's somewhere OU can exploit, but we know that Texas gives their best game in the Cotton Bowl every year, regardless of whether they're a 5-7 and seven team or a 12-0 and 0 team. It just feels like they, they play out of their minds against OU, and then OU kind of doesn't always match that. Now things are flipped. Now it's Texas's the hunter, uh, or I guess uh, the hunted, you know, in some sense, because they've got the target on their back. They're the team that's in the top three. Some people, even I think on The Athletic the other day, were, were touting them as, well, they're the best team in the country. Uh, it's too early for me to agree with that. But, Tyler, I'm curious your opinion. Do you think that we're going to get that same next-level effort from Texas, knowing that they are without a doubt the favorite? Or, or do you think maybe they could be susceptible to some of the things that we've seen uh, over the course of their schedule so far? Well, I think if anything that history has shown us, Adam, over the last 20 years is that the the biggest characteristic with this Texas football program is that they play up and down based on the level of their competition. And whether it's Alabama and Tuscaloosa, OU and the Cotton Bowl, you know that Texas is going to show up and play their, you know, their best, you know, game of football over the course of the regular season. And I think that this is something that, you know, like you alluded to, this isn't a situation that Oklahoma, you know, has really kind of found themselves in. You know, the same goes for Texas as well. Texas, as we sit here on Tuesday night, they are a six and a half point favorite, according to FanDuel. Uh, and, you know, this is a matchup, Adam, where, you know, not just the Oklahoma fans, not just Texas fans, but you, you're going to have the entire country. All eyes are going to be on Dallas, Texas at the Cotton Bowl on Saturday morning to, you know, basically see if we can get some questions answered, you know, whether, you know, Oklahoma, they are 5-0, and but they haven't been tested uh, up to this point in the season. What is, what's it going to look like when they go up against their toughest test of the season? Texas, yes, the, you know, a lot of national media – you know, and, and I'm probably one of them as well. I think that Texas has just as, you know, strong of an argument as anybody why they should be, you know, the number one team in the country at this point right now. Um, but, you know, Adam, I think that it, it, this is ultimately, the, it's the best week of the year in college football. And for me, outside of the Masters, I think that this is my favorite weekend in all of sports. And, you know, every single OU Texas game is special, but I think this one feels like there's a little extra flavor to it because, you know, for, for Oklahoma, you're looking for revenge, you're looking for redemption, you're you're looking to right the wrong that was an embarrassing 49 nothing loss a year ago. And, you know, I think that it's clear that this program has progressed so far in year two of Brent Venables. And this is your opportunity to really go out there and test yourself against one of the best teams in the country. And on the flip side, for Texas, this one means a little bit more to me because Texas fans, the coaching staff, the players in that locker room, and many people across the country legitimately believe that Texas has a chance to compete for the national championship this year. And you combine all of this with the fact that it's the last time that these two are going to be meeting as members of the Big 12 Conference. It's the first time since 2011 that both teams are going to enter this matchup undefeated. This has all of the ingredients to be a great game on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and I can't wait to see what happens. 
For those that are just jumping in here, this is a uh, special edition of the Mainline Podcast where we're recording live via Twitter spaces. So um, we'll get to uh, some listener questions uh, here a little bit later. Um, so uh, not ignoring anyone's requests or anything, but we'll, we'll jump in a little bit on this. I want to I want to get uh, Captain 405 in on this. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with him. I'll ask him to kind of dive into some of his work a little bit later. Um, but but primarily, I want to ask about kind of some advanced stats, because uh, I know, Captain, you've you've retweeted some of these. Uh, I think Jay's retweeted some of these. Some Jay, maybe if you want to chime in after the captain here, but how much stock can we put into some of the advanced stats out there that really like OU, especially when you adjust for opponents, you know, despite OU not playing maybe in Alabama, they still have some pretty good stats, you know, on both sides of the ball, in some cases better than Texas, but how much stock can we put into that or is it kind of meaningless? So I think, and I think it varies to a degree, but the stat that I really like right now is the opponent adjusted EPA or the expected points added uh, per play. And where I, I think that really helps in, in understanding how good a team is, is because it's opponent adjusted, it kind of takes away the argument of, well, you haven't played anybody or, uh, you know, arguing over how good, say, Arkansas State is or, or something like that. It calculates that in or factors it in. And, and it gives you an idea of, of how your team stacks up in those, in those statistics and areas against you know, somebody that they haven't played yet and, and just other teams in the country. And, and so I, I like it for that reason. And, and I feel like it's, an, and it's an, un, an unbiased view of how good a particular team is. And it's looking at the right things to account for how good your offense is, how good your defense is. And uh, and throws out some of the more archaic metrics that that we use, like uh, yards allowed and and things like that, to measure how good a defense is or an offense is. Jay, I know you've also been a big uh, proponent of the advanced stats. Um, I'll, I'll ask you the same question, but I also want to add to it. It's pretty obvious that Dylan Gabriel, I mean, is the best quarterback that Texas has faced. Obviously, the best passing quarterback that Texas will have faced. Do you also expect him to live up to those advanced stats and, and put up some big numbers uh, that maybe Texas really hasn't been able to or hasn't been able to face yet or, or really have to contend with? Yeah, I give the captain on that. That's a that's a spot on statement of, you know, with with these advanced metrics, it's 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 a good tool to add to your toolbox, but never make it your full toolbox. Like I look at. I'll look at the, uh, the EPA as well as I'll look at PFF's premium stats just to get an understanding and gauge of what teams kind of look like as far as an overall performance. But it's never the end-all, be-all. You know, some scores can be skewed in a way because sometimes some players just have a great game and uh, they're just in the right spot at the right time. And so when it comes to the advance, you got to be careful with using that as the as, – as scripture, you can't, that cannot be the only thing you go with, but going into Dylan, man, he's having an amazing season. And you look at the numbers themselves, the advanced numbers, everything around him shows that he's playing at a high level quarterback. Plus he's played for so long. I mean, he's an old guy. He's almost at the AARP level, right? He's close to Sam Hartman's level of playing college football for like 25 years. And so because he's seen so much, he will be the best quarterback that Texas will probably see this entire season because 
he's done a good job of adjusting himself at quarterback. Now, he's not perfect. He still has a tendency to either over or underthrow, and it seems like it's never at the perfect spot. But at the same time, it, it appears that he's starting to feel a little bit more cohesion with his wide receivers to where he's starting to find the, the opportunity to hit him. I mean, that Brendan Thompson pass, to be honest, he hasn't had anybody that fast that was healthy, you know, at all this season, right? You know, Jalil Farouk has a tendency of running so many routes that he – kind of pulls up on some of the deep routes when he's wide open and having a guy as a speedster as Brennan, you got to know, you got to throw it about, you know, a, a second and a half to two seconds earlier and he'll just run up underneath that bad boy. And so Texas is going to have a challenge trying to get him because the big thing with Dylan is he has a really good job of passing it around. Like everybody complains about as, as Sooner fans, we complain about who's getting all the passes and who's, who should be getting more catches. But at the same time, if you look at it, we got a lot of mouths to feed which is a very good problem to have. I mean, if you go down the list of wide receivers from Jaleel Farouk to Andrew Anthony, Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, who is, hey, somebody give uh, Emmett Jones a raise. I'm going to go ahead and repeat that multiple times because that man has turned that room around. And one stat that jumped out to me when I was looking at uh, the premium stats on PFF, we have some of the best blockers at wide receiver in the country. That is amazing to me. And unfortunately, our running game hasn't been benefit, hasn't benefited from it yet. But last season, when Eric Gray would break off his best runs, it was because our wide receivers were blocking downfield well, and it just had he'd hit the hole quick enough, and then he'd be able to go because the wide receivers made just enough time for him to get those extra yardage. Right now, we just got to get our running backs to figure that part out, which I think we can. But with Dylan Gabriel being willing to tuck and run in the RPO going to make them have to make some decisions on who they're going to go after and who they're going to stop now granted the run game hasn't been as successful as we'd like it's a possibility they're going to try to focus on Dylan, and in that point we may get the running backs to actually break a couple here and there so we'll see what it looks like um as far as like rubs and or whatnot and just trying to get past those guys but overall man dylan's going to be the best quarterback they see this season Man, such good analysis. Uh, thanks so much, Jay. If you, if you guys aren't following him, uh, give him a follow there. Uh, bookmark that YouTube video. Go back to it. That's linked up there at the top of the space here and, uh, and download his podcast, Sooner or Later Sports, because um, you're going to get a lot more of that. Tyler, uh, do you want to add something there? On yeah, Dylan just Gabriel? to kind of take that one step further to what Jay said, that, that was fantastic. Um, you, you know, I think that a lot of a lot of this upcoming weekend, you know, is being made about the matchup of, you know, what is Brent Venables in this Oklahoma defense going to be able to do to counter what Sarkeesian, you know, with Quinn Ewers and that skill talent out on the perimeter? How are they going to be able to hold up over the course of four quarters? And, you know, r- rightfully so, Texas has got, you know, the best skill talent that Oklahoma's going to face, you know, all season long, not even close. But for me, you got to flip it over to the other side of the football. To me, Oklahoma's offense going up against, you know, Texas's defense, particularly Oklahoma's offensive line going against Texas's front seven, that's really where the game kind of boils down for me. If Oklahoma's going to have any chance to win this on Saturday, you've got to be able to hold up, you know, not, not just in pass protection. You ultimately, you want to try to, you know, dominate the line of scrimmage. You want to try to find some success in the running game, something that Oklahoma hasn't been able to do consistently over the first five games of the season. But if they can hold up, I think on the interior of the defensive line, if, you know, Andrew Ray, McCade Matower, we'll see what the left guard position kind of shakes out over the course of the game on Saturday. It sounds like Troy Everett, uh, from all indications, sounds like he is going to get the start. We'll see if Savion Bird has something to say about that, if they can mix him into that rotation. But as, as you know, Dylan Gabriel, he, you know, by far and away is going to be the best quarterback that Texas has played up to this point. And I think he's going to be the best quarterback that Texas will see all season. And for all the, 
you know, for, for all the talk about the strength of schedule, the strength of the record that, you know, the, the pundits and the media have, have made about Texas's 5-0 and start this season, I think you guys have made a really good point. I mean, you look at what they've done so far in the biggest ones of the season. They faced an Alabama team who had probably – the worst Alabama quarterback, in, you know, in, the, in that program in the last 10 years. You've, you faced a quarterback in JT Daniels who, you know, he, he's in his third program, you know, in the last five to six years. Back of quarterback against Wyoming, a Wyoming team that took them 10 to 10 into the fourth quarter. They go on the road. Yes, they play extremely well against Baylor, but Blake Shapin was out. You faced, you know, the second, I think even the third stringer got some run in that game as well. And then going into a matchup against Kansas where, you know, all the talks about, you know, how is the Texas defense going to hold up against Jalen Daniels? Jason Bean, the, the backup, ultimately gets the start. And, you know, Kansas is in a six-point game going into halftime. So, again, we'll, we'll see what Dylan Gabriel can do this upcoming weekend. I think that whether or not Oklahoma wins or loses this game, you know, kind of comes down to the performance that Dylan puts up on Saturday because – for OU to have a chance, I don't think that they're going to have too much success running the football. Hopefully, I'm proven wrong, but he's got to be elite in you know in the downfield throws. You know whether it's Brennan Thompson, Andre Anthony, uh, Nick Anderson. You can't afford to underthrow the football. You've got to continue to be aggressive, take those shots down the middle of the field, and ultimately, you know, give our receiving core, who I think is the best position group on the team right now as we sit here, a chance to you know a chance to make an impact, a chance to have a positive impact on this game. And, you know, Dylan Gabriel, he's playing his best football of his career, completing over 75% of his passes through the first five weeks of the season. That's absolutely unheard of. But, um, you know, Dylan's performance and how this offensive line is able to hold up against uh, Texas's front seven, I mean, to me, that's the game. I'm going to hit pause just for a moment on what's going to happen actually on the field. And I want to ask Captain a little bit about some of the recruiting that's happening right now because um, crimsoncaptain.com is a sponsor here of the Mainline Podcast. If you guys aren't subscribed over there, you need to be doing it. I'll kind of uh, I'll kind of let Captain tell a little bit about it, but I've thoroughly enjoyed reading everything that he's doing over there, the, the quick updates, the uh, succinct uh, just reporting about team notes, about uh, film reviews. I imagine there's probably some that are coming up here that you've got scheduled for, for the Texas game, but... Uh, Captain, if you want to, go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about CrimsonCaptain.com. And then if you have a few updates you want to share on some of those recruits, I know there was a couple of them that uh, filtered out today. Uh, feel free to walk through any of those. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I appreciate that. So uh, we're, uh, we are we do have some film review sessions coming up. Uh, one will be a look back at the Iowa State game, and then we'll have a look ahead later on this week uh, to break down Texas and some of the things they do and, and um, try and, and give people a path to how we think, uh, Oh, you can win this game and, and come out on top. So that'll be fun. I, I think that should come out on Thursday or Friday sometime for the look ahead. We should have the, uh, the Iowa state review uh, sometime on Wednesday or Thursday, I believe. So it'll be later on this week or over the next uh, two or three days that we'll have those up. But um, at CrimsonToCaptain.com, as Adam mentioned, uh, we, we focus on a wide variety of, of areas, uh, primarily recruiting. We, we do a lot of football recruiting and, and reporting. Uh, I've also been traveling around to uh, some of the, the various high school football games in Texas and Oklahoma. I'm going to be doing more of that this week. I'll, I'll be in uh, Louisville, actually, to watch uh, Michael Fasusi and Jaden Hardy. And uh, they've got a game against Plano West, and there's a couple of, of recruits there that are in the 
coming up in the later years that I want to keep an eye on and just get to see live. I'm also going to be get, getting down to uh, the San Antonio area sometime here over the next two or three weeks to get a look at um, at uh, the, the latest recruit, uh, which is uh, Hatton, the running back that committed today, kind of unexpectedly out of the 26 class. Caught everybody by surprise there, but um, we'll be uh, getting to, to look at him in person and just um, uh, probably get to talk to him a little bit too. We'll see how that goes. But as far as general recruiting updates go, the one that I wanted to talk about here was uh, was Michael Boganowski. And if you're on CrimsonCaptain.com, you probably know that uh, I had been, based on what sources had been telling me and just kind of the nature of how things were dragging out, it seemed like we'd reached a point of stagnation in that recruitment. And uh, and there was even some some waning confidence on the OU side just about where they stood and where things might end up. But I can tell you over the last few days, um, I believe there was a, a conversation or maybe even a couple of conversations that happened uh, late last week and over the weekend that has swung the pendulum back in the favor of OU here and to the point where I – I would be very surprised if if there's another shift in the opposite direction at this point. And there seems to be momentum for a decision coming sooner than later. I, I had talked to an OU source at some point uh, about a week and a half ago. The thought there was that we were looking at a late October decision, but I think that could come sometime in the next uh, couple of weeks and, and be more in that mid-October time frame. But you never know with these things. He hasn't set a date yet, so we can't say for sure on that front. It just seems to be where things are headed right now. Uh, but I really like where, where things stand with OU and, uh, and Boganowski in particular. I know Michael Fasusi is one that's going to be visiting, I guess, Texas in this scenario since they're the home team for the Red River uh, shootout game. But it's one that obviously OU fans are well familiar with. He's He's likely a five-star out of uh, North Texas there. Seems like OU's one of the favorites there, but Texas still in the picture. Do you have any read as to how much of a Red River battle this is, or do you think OU or, or maybe even someone else might be uh, a more, of a, more of a threat to the Sooners there? I think if you're looking at the – if you're trying to find the primary competitors for Fasusi, it's going to be Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, now – I think the if I had to you know, choose between those two as to which one I think the Zussi will ultimately choose between, it's going to be OU and Texas that, that he'll come down to. That's my feel on on the situation. He has uh, he has developed a relationship with the, the Longhorn staff here over the summer. I, I think at this point, if you had to to pick a leader, it would be OU just because that relationship with Bill Biedenbaugh is, is top-notch and, and it's hard to beat at this point. And, uh, and Biedenbaugh's reputation and uh, process for not only development, but you're putting guys in the NFL and that, that track record and just his style of coaching is one that really resonates with Fasusi based on everything that I've heard and, and even some conversations with him. So um I think that OU is going to be hard to beat for him. Now you get into the NIL conversation and that, that introduces a whole different dynamic and things that OU will have to compete with and and fight against. 
and and if A&M decides to to really come in heavy handed on that side of the equation, you know, we could be talking about a different scenario at some point here over the course of the next year. But uh, right now, when you look at what OU is doing and how they're building that relationship and, and the things that they have in their favor right now, uh, there's there's a lot that other schools will have to overcome to overtake them. Love to hear that. And uh, thanks so much for the updates there, Cap. Um, guys, if you aren't subscribed there, the film reviews are gold. Uh, it's changed some of the ways that I've watched the game. So highly, highly recommend. Give uh, give Cap a follow there and uh, check out crimsoncapin.com. Jay, I want to ask you, uh, going back to the game on Saturday, obviously OU is going to have to play almost perfect <laughs> in some ways. And that kind of brings us to the kicking game because special teams is something that OU's had some really good moments with Peyton Bowen's blocked punts. Uh, but also not the best punting game from our own punters. And then we see Zach Schmidt miss a field goal this past Saturday. We tweeted this out, and I, I pinned it up there at the top, but OU's been pretty good on fourth down. Obviously can't go for every fourth down situation, but do you foresee maybe a different strategy or fr- from the play calling perspective of when you go for it on fourth down, or do you think OU just is, is going to – have to just trust their kickers at the end of the day in this particular game in the Cotton Bowl? Well, I mean, of course, that's very much dependent on the location of the ball, you know, warhead on the field. But to be honest, the one thing that I've been most impressed about this Sooner team this season has been our conversions on, on third down. Like, we – this is not – this is very much unprecedented. Shout out to my guy, uh, Dark Lord Popo with some nice stats that he always provided me. But Oklahoma right now, we're converting 54.4% of our third downs. And seven of eight, so 87% on fourth. Something that we, this unprecedented, something that we would not have expected from this team, um, even in years past with our old regime. We didn't really convert very well on third down. We're doing it a very good job. So for us right now, the key thing is, is getting out those third downs on a regular basis and at least getting into a situation where we're in four down situations. You know what I'm saying? Anything past the 40 yard line, we'll feel comfortable with going ahead and going for it. Now, granted, it's going to really be dependent on the score. Sometimes you just need to take the points, give everybody a break and just, you know, recalibrate how you want to do on the next set of uh, possessions. But as long as we keep rolling in third downs, I think we'll be fine. For those that are maybe just joining us or joined partway through, this is a live episode of the Mainline Podcast. If you've missed any part of it or want to go back and listen to it, uh, we will release this as a podcast. You can find it at the link in our profile. Uh, and we'll get to some of you guys that are requesting the chat. We want to hear from everybody um, here probably in, in about 10, 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, but, Tyler, I, I do want to ask you, um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of players look good on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, we have a new sponsor here at the Mainline Podcast. It's Red and West. They had me looking good going onto the field on Saturday. Um, they got me hooked up with some new gear for for OU, uh, some uh, kind of a winged hat. I'll, I'll, I'll pin a tweet here in a second. Um, but they had us looking good going into uh, to this stretch of the season here. And I'm curious because I want to know who's looking good on the defensive side of the ball and who do you want to continue or who needs most to look good uh, on Saturday for OU to have the best chance to win. Yeah, Red and West partnership has been really good for us here at the main line. Um, I actually got my my gear package in the mail yesterday. Polo hat, T-shirt, they've got it all. Looks great, feels even better. Highly recommend all you OU fans out there. If you don't already have 
uh, any game day, uh, you know, apparel, or if you're looking to, uh, you know, maybe stock up a little bit here as we get a little bit closer to the holiday season, Red and West is definitely the way to go. Um, as far as who I'm going to be looking for on Saturday, who I think, you know, on the defensive side of the football, it's imperative that they play, you know, a, a really, really good football, a really, really good game. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, but for me, it boils down to the best player on Oklahoma's defense, and it is Danny Stussman, who at this point in the season is playing, you know, like a Butkus Award finalist. He's playing at an All-American level uh so, so far this year and as good as he's been through the first five weeks of the season and again I know that the the common theme is like okay well it's SMU it's Cincinnati it's Iowa State who's got one of the worst offenses in college football at the end of the day you got to play the card that you're dealt and Danny Stutzman of the Oklahoma defense has gone out there time and time again over the first month of this season and put together five really solid and even dominant at times performances they're the number three overall scoring defense in the country yes you heard that right it feels uh feels kind of funnier and even a little bit weird to say that about an Oklahoma defense, but that is where we sit here uh, in the year 2023. But, yeah, I think that Danny's got to be a difference maker on Saturday. He leads the Big 12 in tackles with 49. Actually, the uh, the second closest in tackles is 12 behind him, so that just kind of shows how dominant he's been at the linebacker position. Texas is going to do a lot of different things offensively. We know, you know Sarkeesian is – you know, maybe outside of Lincoln Riley is probably the best offensive mind in the game of college football. And you combine Texas's quarterback, Quinn Ewers, with the skill talent like an A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, uh, Jatavian Sanders, who for fans that, you know, maybe caught a little bit of the, the Texas-Kansas game, uh, Jatavion Sanders, he did get rolled up a little bit, you know, was forced to uh, miss the rest of the game with an ankle injury. Um, I would be hard-pressed to see, find any excuse where he doesn't play this upcoming weekend. I think he's going to be ready to go. But Danny's going to have to be Danny's going to have to be in command uh, on Saturday, no doubt about it. He's going to have to be able to diagnose things uh, ahead of time. He's got to get the calls in. He's got to get guys lined up on time, uh, and he's really, you know, kind of got to be the the captain of this defense, and that's what he is. So for Oklahoma to have success on Saturday against uh, against Texas, uh, Danny's just got to build on what he's done so far this season and put together another dominant performance for Oklahoma to have a chance. Cap, I want you to fill in the blank for us here. Oklahoma beats Texas if blank happens. Oklahoma beats Texas if your defense can stop the stretch outside zone running play that's that's kind of bitten them a little bit. And I'll add to that, the other thing is that they've got to have a flawless safety play. Jay? Same question to you. What what do you think is going to be most critical for OU to do in order to come away with the win here? Force turnovers by Texas. Like, if you look at it, the way this – I mean, we're one of the top defenses in, in interceptions right now in turnovers. We're doing it. Like, this is not something we would have even thought of from an Oklahoma team, too. Uh, kind of just, you know, piggybacking what Tyler was mentioning there. This is not something we would have thought of ever happened from a team here. And we're one of – one teams that have our tops in points allowed and points scored this season in the top five, you know, that that's, that's, I would have never thought this could, could happen with us, but at the same time, Brent Venables is infamous for doing this. He's infamous for turning around teams quickly. Uh, Sarkeesian even mentioned it in his presser. I dropped a video on it earlier today in his presser. He's really talking about how he knows that, BV is going to come in with a bunch of with, with a lot multiplicity is what he said as far as his defenses go. Playing against SMU is one defense. Iowa State's a different defense, and so on the film they're not going to have a standard to look at except for keeping their eye, as Cat mentioned, on Danny Stutzman. That's the guy that they're going to be eyeballing 
um, this entire time to understand where he is because in every Brent Venables defense, he has that one linebacker that's the main guy that's basically the quarterback on defensive side, but he's always in every single defensive play in some capacity. And so Stutzman's our guy for this year, and so that's the thing that they're going to have to work on. So for us, it's getting the pressure on – Quinn and forcing him to make those uh, those erratic passes that leads to interceptions. Now, we can't go into this game with any type of cockiness. We have to go in with urgency. I mentioned it at the beginning of the game on Sunday. That Iowa State game, we shouldn't allow them to score 20 points. But why did we let them score 20 points? We overlooked them. The first 21 minutes of that game, we overlooked them. And the bad part about it was the, the true rat poisoning for that game was that pick six by Billy Bowman. That was a very bad thing for us. Yes, Sooner fans, you may think I'm crazy when I say that, but that is exactly what happened. We got the pick six, and guess what we said? Oh, they're just as bad as we think they are. So we're going to let up. We're not going to work as hard or anything. And all those busted plays happened afterwards. And so when we started recognizing, oh, we probably should button up and go out here and play the game, 39 minutes straight, we only gave up 93 yards and zero points. So if we're going to do anything against Texas. We've got to force Quinn to make mistakes early, but don't get cocky about it. We've got to keep, we got to put our foot on the gas the entire time. Something that we have not done in a long time. We've got to continue to push, push, push and force him to make a whole bunch of errors. We can force the errors. If we can make him play like he did against Oklahoma state last season, we win this game. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Jay. Um, as far as what I'm going to be looking at, you know, keys for OU beating Texas on Saturday, what has to happen. I mean, I've got just a couple of here, one on each side of the football. For me, offensively, outside of Oklahoma's interior O-line, you know, blocking the the three-headed monster that Texas has got on, on the defensive line led by Tavondre Sweat, um, Oklahoma's got to be able to make the big plays in the passing game when it matters most. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. Dylan Gabriel has been elite so far this year, completing 75% of his passes. But if there's one flaw, and it's hard to find one, you know, he's one of the best college quarterbacks in America right now with the way he's performing. But you cannot afford to have any over or under throws on the D balls on Saturday when the margin for error in this game is so thin and it's a lot smaller for Oklahoma and ultimately them becoming the winner of this game on Saturday, you've got to convert on those opportunities down the field. I fully expect Oklahoma's receivers to be able to make some plays down the field against Texas defensive backs. Ryan Watts, uh, the corner for Texas, he's been a little bit banged up. We'll see his status for the upcoming weekend. But if you go back and you look at some of the games, some of the snaps that Texas's defense has been on the field this year, yes, they are one of the best defenses in the country, but teams have had some success uh, in the passing game, making big time throws deep down the d- deep down the middle of the field, and that's something where you would hope that Oklahoma uses this game to basically kind of flip the script offensively with some of the things that they're going to do schematically. I don't want to see any two tight end sets. I don't want to see very many snaps where you've got Austin Stogner lined up wide or you've got Austin Stogner lined up on the end going out for a passing play. Yes, there's probably a time and a place for that in the red zone, but let's spread this thing out. Let's go four wide. Feed the ball to Farouk, Anderson, you know Gibson, uh, Andrell Anthony. I think that for Oklahoma to score on Saturday, you're going to have to make some big plays in the passing game. Flipping it over on the defensive side of the football, you have to force turnovers. Jay, you said it perfectly. I cannot wait. Brent Venables, you know he's stewing. They lost this game by seven touchdowns a year ago. They've had all offseason to think about this. Coaches have been watching film on Texas, putting together a game plan for the last six or seven months. 
I cannot wait to see what Brent Venables is going to dial up on Saturday to try and make Quinn Ewers uncomfortable. If you can force him off of his spot, if you can get after him a little bit, um, kind of make him uncomfortable in the pocket, then you have a chance. If you can't get pressure on him, if you allow him to sit back there, he's going to pick you apart with the weapons that he's got out wide. So uh, big plays in the passing game, force a couple of turnovers on defense, uh, and set the edge. That's the last one for me. Can, uh, Jonathan Brooks leads the Big 12 in rushing. Uh, just a hair under 170 rushing yards a game. Uh, you got to figure out a way to set the edge, make some big plays in the passing game, and uh, force a couple of turnovers. And I like OU's chances. Cap, you you posted a little bit earlier today just about that uh, how this coaching staff has really been stewing on last year's game. Texas fans are, I think we have a few of them here in the space right now, but of course they've been commenting on every post that we have and every YouTube video that we put out there, 49-0, 49-0. And like, I don't blame them. That's the, kind of the first thing that they've really had to hang their hat on over the last decade or so in this series. So uh, I know that's that's been a big one. Cap, though, I do kind of want to put you on the spot here, and I'll, I'll come to Jay after. As it stands today, it's 8.39 on Tuesday. I know yesterday you said you weren't quite sure where you were, were leaning, but Give us a score prediction. Be bold here. Let us know what you're feeling as of this moment for Saturday. Yeah, I've, I've been back and forth. I, I figured this question would be coming. So I've I've been bouncing it back and forth over the last you know, three days or so after we saw what happened against Iowa State. I, I really feel like this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game somewhere in the 28 to 24 range. And – and, and and I'll give you some kind of a window into into what I'm thinking. I one of the things that concerns me about OU, if I'm looking at how they've played so far and just some of the tendencies that they've shown, one of the things or a few things that concern me is against every opponent, there has been at least two or three times, some a couple times, there's been more than that uh, of cases where the secondary breaks down in some way, shape, or form. Typically, that has been from the safety position, either uh, poor eye discipline causing them to, to lose track of a receiver at critical points. We saw that twice against Iowa State. That was the problem that happened. Both Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman were guilty of that. Bowman has been guilty on that a few times of either taking a bad angle or having poor eye discipline on, on, in that back end. And sometimes that's been taken advantage of. Really, Iowa State was the first team that that punished them or punished OU for those kinds of mistakes. And I think that you know when you're when you're jumping up as far as the level of competition like we are against Texas, the the potential to get punished for those mistakes goes up. And so I I can't really shake that. That's because it's not, it wasn't just one game where that happened. It's been pretty much every game over the course of the first five weeks that we've seen some example where uh, the safeties in particular and uh, you know, have some sort of an issue a couple, three times a game. So one of, one of two things is either going to have to happen in my mind. You're going to have to have that flawless safety play or the pass rush is going to have to get home. I, and I don't really trust the pass rush to get home unless we're talking about somebody like Adeboware or uh, or R. Mason Thomas or Grayson Halton, uh, you know, maybe Isaiah Coe in that interior level. Those guys are your best pass rushers. 
they also don't get the most playing time. And so I think that, that whenever they're not on the field, I think that maybe presents an opportunity for Texas to give viewers a little bit more time and, and for the, the potential where that kind of safety play could come into the picture and, and possibly break down. The other thing that makes me nervous about, uh, about things for OU, Texas has a good running game right now. And it's not, it's not great, but it's, it's above average at this point. And uh, Jonathan Brooks is definitely a, a good running back. He's going to be one of the best, if not the best that they will have faced all season. OU has, has struggled against some of the outside zone running concepts that they've seen. Cincinnati uh, had success and went away from it inexplicably at some point during that game. Iowa State had success with it. Um, and, uh, you know, Arkansas State really didn't have the athletes to pull that off. I don't know that they really even tried it. But it's been a concept that OU has had some trouble with. And Sarkeesian is very NFL-like in the sense that he once he finds a weakness or something that, that he sees as an advantage, he will just pound it until you stop it. And he's, he's pretty good at that. He's, he's developed a reputation for that. If there's one thing that he does well, it, it's that kind of approach. So I feel like this is going to be a really big game for Jaron Canick in the sense that he's the one at his position that has to fill that outside gap whenever, the, whenever they, they do those, those stretch run plays and, and have those outside zone concepts. If he is a beat late, and recognizing what's going on and filling that gap, then that that's going to open the floodgates. The other thing that has to happen is that whoever they're running to that edge, that that whoever side that edge is, he's got to be able to set that and and not let them uh, turn him inside. So there, there's a lot of things that go on. Those are the two main components of that. And I, I'm kind of you know belaboring the point here. I I think the run game struggles for OU, I don't think that those magically get solved in this game. I think that, uh, I think OU is still going to struggle to run the ball, which to me does not bode well. I think Texas will win that battle. And, and unless OU can counterbalance that with a dramatic, um, a dramatically, a dramatic advantage in the turnover battle, then I think that's, that's not going to really, go OU's way. Picking a score right now, I, I would lean 28-24 Texas at this point. I could easily see now I, I say that I could easily see it going to a point where uh, it, OU solves those issues that I mentioned where they're 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 uh, playing the zone, the outside zone concepts well and, and the safeties play well and Venables comes up with that plan like we talked about where uh, he's able to confuse viewers and, and the offensive line puts it together. I could see this being the game where suddenly OU puts it all together and and it's not really even that close, <laughs> which is funny. Because I, I, can I can put that picture together in my mind, you know, use favor, uh, whereas I really can't when I'm looking at it from the Texas side. I think, though, you know, if I'm going to be objective here and understand the strengths and weaknesses and how the teams have performed, to date, uh, I, I think I would come out expecting there to be a, a Texas win at the end of this, but uh, for you to cover the spread. Jay, score prediction for Saturday. Yeah, Cam, thanks. You just really stole my number. I've been thinking it's going to be a low-scoring game 
all season. Um, I didn't feel like it was going to be a, just a, a mass blowout or even a shootout on both sides because both teams defensively have gotten a lot better. Um, I'll give, you know, unfortunately give Texas props when it comes to this. They've done some really good job of recruiting, especially in the trenches. Offensive, defensive line, they've done a great job. Shout out to my guy Nino over at Nino's Corner. One thing he pointed out about the difference about Sarkeesian's recruiting compared to the last set of regimes from Charlie Strong and Tom Herman is – they bulked up these top classes with skills position guys and really didn't have much in the trenches. And we kind of saw that last year as Texas had zero players drafted in the 2022 class. It kind of tells you something, right? Those players just, you know, uh, 2021 class, I'm sorry. They didn't really have anybody drafted. You know, Bijan, of course, was just a beast this past year. Um, so I thought I was right, 2022, because Bijan was 2023. Anyway, I digress. They They have recruited very well in the trenches as of late. And so defensively they've gotten better and it looks like it. And the good thing for them is, is that they can turn on the switch as well. They can turn on the switch when they need to, and they can go ahead and lock in and make it happen. Now the question is, is that with the way Quinn is playing right now, he's playing out of his mind, 66% completion percentage, 1300 yards, 10 tutties. He's been sacked nine times, but the question is, is will he regress back to the mean? Because usually everybody does. If you're putting up a whole bunch of numbers at a certain and you have up and down production, and we talk about that with Texas. And Texas fans, unfortunately, you know this is true about your team. You have a tendency of playing to your competition. Um, problem two in the past, especially on the defensive side. We had a tendency of just, you know, based on the competition, we show out or we keep it close and we weren't supposed to. And so Texas has kind of shown that this year with the um Wyoming game, honestly, and Rice to start the season just started off slow and then showing out against Bama. So based upon the competition with us, you should be able to show up. Me personally, I have it flipped, though. I think Oklahoma can pull this now 28-24. My confidence level isn't super high because I do think both teams are pretty even when it comes to across the board. Now, I think the one difference is, is that if you can get Quinn going the way like he did last year, you might have a chance of disrupting things and making it easier for yourself, which I think with the way that BB is going to play – He'll make things a little complicated out there on the defensive side to give him some certain looks. Now, Sarkeesian is no no uh, novice when it comes to playing his BB. Remember, he was part of the staff at USC when they played in the national championship, uh, part of that Pete Carroll regime. And, and Pete Carroll was a master at the defensive side of the ball. So Stark has seen some things, you know, learning from those greats. And then at the same time, he was the uh, interim offensive coordinator when uh, Alabama played Clemson in the national championship and Deshaun Watson went out there and did his heroic. So he understands and knows what he's going to see potentially from BV while at the same time knowing that though things have changed in, in some capacity. BV adds new wrinkles here and there. So I still say Oklahoma right now, 28-24, number probably most of the week. It all depends on injuries. Um, and so far, knock on wood, we haven't seen anything that's been serious on the Oklahoma side. And, I mean, I don't think anything's truly serious on the Texas side as of right now. I know the corner that could potentially be having some injuries or whatnot. And then was at Sanders, the tight end. Looks like he may be potentially uh, in or out or, you know, questionable, I guess you could say. Uh, or probable is probably the better word for them. So, depending on injuries, I'm I'm going to still call it 28-24. I think the Sooners can go ahead and pull it out at the end with like a game-winning Kennedy Brooks type touchdown. Tyler, I'm going to skip you in line here uh, just to uh, throw the order a little bit. And Jay, I, I'm I'm surprised you picked OU. I thought I might be the only one that was kind of leaning that direction, <laughs> but you, you said a lot of the same things that 
I was kind of thinking here, and you mentioned how OU's really probably in the healthiest position they've been in all season, surprisingly. Uh, yeah. Most guys are available. And then you look at the coaching matchup. You know, Sark has only coached against Brent Venables, I guess, last year when Brent Venables had two hands tied behind his back. He didn't have a quarterback in offense whatsoever. And his defense really was on – you know, just the basics of that. There, there was no semblance of a Brent Venables defense a year ago. And then if you go back to 2016, Sark was an offensive assistant at uh, Nick Saban's rehab program in Alabama when they played Clemson in the national championship game. So Sark has not really coached against Brent Venables in some ways. And so I'm just curious well, how that... Well, Sark, remember, Lane Kiffin basically got fired before the national championship that game. Remember, he took the Florida Atlantic job and Sark stepped in as OC. He was the OC calling the plays in that game. Now, granted, it's based upon a Nick Saban offense and how Nick Saban wants to do it, but he got to see it. He was there helping prepare for it. So I'm going to count that as him coaching against Brent Venables. Great point. I had actually forgotten about that. So thanks for for calling that out. I I still think it's interesting. You know, I just feel like we haven't seen seen that matchup completely yet. So I'm curious to see how, it, you know, who's able to win that coaching matchup. Because in my mind, and we talked about earlier in the space and on the podcast here, that the advanced stats do favor OU when you adjust for opponents, you know, strength of schedule and so forth. Even despite OU playing no Alabama, the advanced stats still like OU a little bit better than Texas. It's, it's very close. And so when I look at this matchup, I, I think, man, it's, it's like splitting hairs. And so the first thing I usually go to is, okay, who's playing at home? Well, that doesn't apply here. Well, who has the better quarterback? Well, I mean, it, it kind of depends day to day in some scenarios. I, you know, it kind of depends on what Dylan Gabriel you get. kind of depends on what Quinn Ewers you get. So it's like I, I don't know who might, might win out there. Coaching, we've seen Brent Venables for decades and decades of what he's able to do defensively, and, and especially in these big games and with his, his blitz packages and so forth. And we know that he's holding a lot of that back. So – it really is splitting hairs for me here. I'm trying to determine, you know, how much do I have crimson colored glasses on? I know I do a little bit. And so probably with this prediction, I probably have a little bit of that in, but to me, I kind of think it's just whoever shows up the hungriest on Saturday. And I know he's going to have a lot of hunger based on last year, based on not getting any respect. No one's really going to pick OU. A lot of people are saying, OU's still a fraud. OU hasn't played anybody. That's a lazy narrative. That's, that's so lazy to, to just say, OU hasn't played anybody. And that's the reason that, that Texas will win because OU's done everything that they should do really against the schedule that they had. You really couldn't ask for much more. So I'll go with OU 34 to 30 just because I'm splitting hairs at this point. I, I really don't know who's going to win this game, but you know, if I'm going to split hairs, I'll take the OU side of things. Tyler. Well, not to be Debbie downer to kind of close this thing out, but uh, I'm probably on the other side uh, on the opposite side of, of you and Jay Adam. Uh, you know, it, it's no doubt that when you watch Oklahoma over the course of the first five weeks of the season, the the progression is there. It's obvious that this is a better coached football team. This is a better performing football team. The defense is more fundamentally sound. You can tell that the players are buying into what Brent Venables is selling, and that culture is you know getting deeper and deeper into this program. But when you when you look at this matchup, Adam, and you really you know try to break this thing down. I've watched pretty much every single snap that Texas has played all season long, and I don't really see a glaring weakness on this Texas football team. I'm just going to be honest with you. And while I do think that Oklahoma has improved, I still think that there's a whole other level that they are 
that they have not yet reached in it, it, to be able to, to uh, keep up with Texas for four quarters. So, again, I, I think that what Oklahoma's weaknesses offensively is the strength of Texas. Oklahoma has, while they have been really, really good in pass protection, you know, asserting themselves, running the football consistently, that's not something that OU's been able to do uh, over the course of the first five weeks of the season. You look at Texas's front seven. I mean, you got Jalen Ford, Tavondre Sweat, Byron, you know, Byron Murphy. Texas has all the ingredients defensively in that front seven to give Oklahoma's offensive line fits, and that's where the game kind of boils down for me. You flip it over to the other side of the field, uh, to the other side of the line of scrimmage. I think that Steve Sarkeesian, he is very creative in playing with the eyes of your linebackers and your safeties. And I think that this is going to be an instance. I hope I'm not right, but from everything that I've seen, yes, Jaron Kanick has played extremely well. He has all the makings to be, you know, a really, really, really good linebacker here at the University of Oklahoma as he grows up a little bit. But I think that Sarkeesian is going to pick on Kanick a little bit on Saturday. Um, Sarkeesian has a really, really good habit of getting the offense flowing one way and then they hit you going the opposite direction if you're not fundamentally sound and you're reading your keys and, and you know, you're in the right position. So you pair that with Quinn Ewers playing the best football of his career, Jonathan Brooks, you know, really finding himself in this Oklahoma running game. For Oklahoma defensively to have the best chance on Saturday to slow down Texas, you've got to get your best players on the field. You've got to limit your personnel rotations. Find your best 22 on the defensive side of the football. Limit it to where your best players are getting the bulk of your snaps on Saturday. And I'm talking about Peyton Bowen in this instance. I'm talking about P.J. Adebaware. Those are the guys that are difference makers. You brought them in for a reason. They're the five stars. They have the highest ceiling whatsoever. And I think for Oklahoma to win this game, you've got to have good performances from all of those guys. But, and this gets to my prediction, I'm probably going to talk myself into OU winning this game, then finding a way to win this game on Friday when I'm driving down to Dallas. But as I sit here right now, Oklahoma's going to come out. They're going to play inspired. They're going to, you know, they took the loss a year ago personally. But at the end of the day, I think that Texas is too talented from top to bottom on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think that Texas goes in there on Saturday, and I think that this is a 14-point game. I'm going to take Texas 38-24 in what's going to be the first of two matchups this this year for Oklahoma and Texas. I think Texas gets them this weekend, but I think Oklahoma is in a much better position in December when these two teams match up. I'll take the Big 12 championship trophy over a win this upcoming weekend. Yeah, Tyler, I, I I would not be surprised to see that result happen. Um, I think I'm just a few days ahead of you on talking myself into this one. So, well, hey, we greatly appreciate everyone joining us uh, for the Twitter space this evening. It's a, a live podcast. If you miss any of it, check it out at the link in our profile here. We do this every Tuesday night, recording a podcast, talking OU football mainly in the fall but we'll talk a lot about softball and other sports in the spring as well thanks to our guests for jumping in here captain 405 and uh, and jay smith make sure you're following them follow their work uh download jay's podcast watch it on youtube um some really great work over there um if I, that's kind of going to do it for us this evening we kind of ran out of time there for uh, some listeners uh, we'll try to make some more time for that uh, the next time we do one of these live spaces but we greatly appreciate everyone jumping in and uh, listening to the mainline this week. And uh, we'll see everyone again next time for another episode of the mainline podcast.